Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I say this for a lot of episodes because I feel like the episodes get better and better, but this really was one of my favorite interviews to date. I have followed Jess's writing, her beauty writing for a long time now, and she and I just think very similarly. I think this overall question about how to be a feminist, but also someone who's into beauty and skincare, how do you be a good environmental citizen, but also be someone that likes, you know, doing things and buying products? These are all questions that we talk about. How do you reconcile with the fact that you may love to put on makeup, but you're also doing so in a society that rewards flaw-free women or rewards certain beauty standards? It's all very deep and layered and complex. And I'm so grateful that Jess was willing to go there with me and have these conversations. She's also just such an advocate for women of color in the beauty space. She, you know, we talked about how she uses her privilege as a white woman to tell different stories and just also recognizing that clean beauty, that sustainable beauty isn't some brand new thing that, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow invented, that it's something that goes back for generations in black and brown communities, which I so appreciate. I think you guys are going to love this episode. I think you guys are going to listen back to it because there are so many gems and so much interesting knowledge being shared. I do my takeaways at the end, so stay tuned for those. And yeah, other than that, I hope everyone is doing well. Thank you guys for all of the continued support on the podcast. It means so much to me. Thank you for taking the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys for sharing when you're listening on your Instagram story and tagging me at Naked Beauty Planet. I always love to see that. I hope this episode inspires you to rethink some elements of your beauty routine. It's definitely got me thinking differently about the way I approach some things. Okay, let's get into my discussion with Jess Jeffino. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I'm so excited to talk to you, Jess, because I have read your writing for so long and I feel like we have like very similar philosophies to skincare and just that the beauty industry does way too much to just get us to buy things. Um, I think like an early post I saw from you, you were like, want like a lactate acid treatment? Just like put yogurt on your face. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) Why don't people understand this? A hundred percent. I remember when I found you and I was like, oh my God, this woman is just DIYing all of her gorgeous oil treatments. Yeah. I love it so much. 
Yeah. And uh, you've been at it for a long time. I mean, you've written for The Cut, for Harper's Bazaar, for Vogue, um, Fashionista.com. You've written so many articles um, that I really like. I think just in beauty journalism in general, there aren't that many people with like a distinct voice. But that's why you've gained such a following and why people love your writing because like you really like say what you think and you're not afraid to share the realness. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I think... Uh, in beauty journalism specifically, there's a lot of being nice for the sake of PR people or building brand relationships. And yeah, there are very few people who are not afraid to kind of go up against that. So yes, I mean, it's been a challenge for me, but it's also been really great for me because people are like, okay, finally, someone who's not uh, bullshitting. Exactly. Exactly. And then I also just think you do such a good job and we'll get into it later, but just being a feminist and also being into beauty can be really hard sometimes. Like what was the email that you got an email yesterday and you said like beauty companies do better? What was something really body shamey? It was a PR pitch from some brand. I can't even remember which one, but the subject line was dimples belong on orange peels, not on your legs. Like, and I was what? just so offended that like we're it's 2020 people like I know this is this is done I know it just shows we have so so much farther to go yeah it's it's deeply ingrained and it's gonna take a while for everybody to get on board but yes. it's happening it's happening slowly but surely well you grew up in New Jersey what was that like it was fine I mean it's a very suburban area I always wanted to get out of New Jersey yeah. <laughs> oh, my goal, like as soon as I was old enough to dream of leaving New Jersey, I just wanted to leave New Jersey. Um, So I went to school in Boston and then I moved to LA and then I moved to Savannah and now I'm back in New Jersey. And now that I'm like 31, I can appreciate it again. I I can appreciate the beauty of Jersey. Yes. Did you, what was your relationship to beauty like growing up in Jersey? Like, did you feel beautiful growing up? Were you into beauty and trends and skincare? I was not into skincare so much, but I was definitely into beauty all the typical Jersey stuff. Like I loved big hair and big mascara. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went through a fifties pinup phase Ooh. and it lasted for like six or seven years where I wait, just, how old I was probably from 16 to 21, 22, where I did like a full face of makeup every day, winged eyeliner, red lipstick every day. I wore L'Oreal's Beyonce red. Yes. Signature. I like even drew on a mole. Yes. <laughs> I love this. It's very yeah. Dita Von Teese. Yes. She was like my icon. That's amazing. Were your parents like cool with you doing this like full look and transformation and supportive of it? Yeah, they were fine with it. I was also very into musical theater, like from age probably five or six, I started doing community theater. Okay. So I always had to do stage makeup and costumes. And I, like, I was a very showy child. So it felt like a natural extension of my personality at that point to just be very into cultivating a look and a character. I see. I see. So that's how you ended up at Berkeley School of Music. Yes. Yes. Which is- so different than working in the beauty industry. Like how did you go from like this love of musical theater and music into working in beauty? Well, it's kind of a long and winding journey, but I think probably about two years into music school, I was there for songwriting. I realized um, I did not want to make a career out of music, like going to school and having to learn very specific ways of singing and very specific ways of playing guitar and very specific ways of songwriting kind of took the joy out of it for me. So I was like, this is something that I just want to kind of keep for myself maybe and do for myself and not necessarily 
try and, and make it, you know, get a record deal or anything like that. So when I graduated college, I moved to LA to intern for a wardrobe stylist in the music industry. Okay. So I interned for her and we like styled music videos and concerts for like Green Day and Jason Mraz and Sarah Bareilles and all of these amazing artists. And it was so much fun. Like I loved experiencing music that way and kind of cultivating this look alongside a sound and like, what does this sound look like and matching that up? Um, but then after a while, I kind of missed writing. Okay. So I pivoted into kind of celebrity fashion editorial. I worked for an agency in LA that produced cover stories for international magazines because we had like the celebrity access in LA. So I did cover stories. I did Rihanna's cover for Harper's Bazaar China and Harper's Bazaar Arabia and Sama oh Hayek. Did you get to interview her? I didn't interview her, but I produced that shoot and she was a dream. My gosh. Rihanna's just always been incredible. I know. I know. We, can't, we can't bring up with Rihanna without... I just... I would love your thoughts on Fenty skincare because <laughs> the girls are excited. I have not tried it. I know there's fragrance in it, but I also don't demonize fragrance. Um, have you tried it? What are your thoughts? I have not tried it. I don't really use like any prepackaged skincare products, which we okay. can do later. Yeah. So I probably won't try it. Yeah. More power to her for creating a skincare line. But I also... I don't know. I have so many feelings about all of the celebrity beauty lines coming oh, out. And it just feels, sometimes it feels a little bit just like a cash grab. Like, are these skincare products that you've been using, are these responsible for your glow? Like, no. Right. Huh. Oh my God. They've got facialists yeah. and they're yeah. getting Botox and filler and literally I'm, doing all of the things to look the way they look. And then they're like, buy this cream. Exactly. Like it's, it's the same with Kylie skin for me and pretty much any celebrity skincare line. I'm like, we have so much, we have so many products available to us. Does the world need this? Probably not. Yeah. But I guess the world doesn't really need anything else. We don't need more fragrance. We don't need more makeup. We don't need more like another leggings line, sneakers, like kind of just all all part of the capitalist machine. But okay. <laughs> I, I I appreciate um your stance on on the Fenty skin. I'm I'm curious to try it. So I'm not gonna knock it until I try it. She is a goddess. I will say that. <laughs> an icon, an icon. So you've had a lot of experience in your career. Like you've written for these amazing publications. When it comes to like learning how to hustle and network, what's your number one piece of advice? I was thinking about this. I'm not much of a networker. Like I'm very shy. I've always been very shy and quiet, but I do know how to hustle. And I think my biggest tip is just finding your niche and really carving that out for yourself and not being afraid to say like, this is the space that I occupy and nobody else can do this the way that I can do this. So for a long time, when I was applying for writing positions, my thing was being a former songwriter. And I put that in every application I ever had was like my writing reads like a song, like it's musical. It has a rhythm. It has a meter. I'm like obsessed with like everything having a flow and consonants and assonance. And I don't think it's something that people necessarily pick up on when they read it, but mm. I don't know. I'm of the mind that if something has that flow, you want to keep reading and it kind of like lulls. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, as you say it, your writing definitely does have like a beautiful flow to it. I can so see that. Thank you. And then once I started in the beauty industry, I like decided that my niche was going to be natural, holistic, sustainable skincare. 
And like, I don't take assignments that are outside of that niche. I don't write anything that's not with aligned with my personal values and what I would personally use and what I believe in. And because there are so few beauty writers covering those topics, it's been easy for me to to claim that space and to be like the go-to writer when editors need someone to cover like a new natural ingredient or the risks of something that's not so natural. Yes. That's so smart. I think finding a niche is so important. So many people reach out to me and they're like, oh, I want to start a podcast. And I remember when I started my podcast, there were very few beauty podcasts three years ago. There's still not enough. I know there still aren't enough, but I think a lot of people launch podcasts and they're kind of just general. They're like, oh, I'm going to talk to my friends about like pop culture. And it's like, you can do that. But having a niche does totally help make you like stand out. That's really smart advice. Okay. One of your most interesting gigs before you got into natural, holistic, sustainable skincare, as you say, was you were a ghostwriter for Khloe Kardashian and Kendall Jenner. Like, please spill the tea on what that was like, because I have so many questions. (laughs) So after I'd had that like experience in the editorial space, I actually got recruited on LinkedIn to be part of the team that launched all of the Kardashian-Jenner official apps in 2015. It was like a very secretive interview process. They like didn't tell me what it was for on the phone. And the first interview they asked, like, what do you think of all of these different celebrities? And they threw different people out there. Like, what do you think of Jennifer Aniston? What do you think of Reese Witherspoon? Like, what do you think of Kim Kardashian? And luckily I was like, oh, I love the Kardashians. Um, So I got to love the Kardashians. I did at the time. I mean, not that I don't love them now, but I want the show was always kind of like a guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. I kind of love that they do nothing and have been able to really capitalize on that and just build these empires from just being true to themselves and their, their particular brands. Yeah. I mean, I think it's gotten perhaps a bit out of, (laughs) out of hand in recent years, but at the time I was like, yeah, more power to them. Yes. I watch, I'm guilty of watching and I'll watch the show and I'm like, this is highly entertaining. Like I can't stop watching. Mm -hmm. And that's really what they're like. Like that was the biggest, the biggest takeaway for me. I was like, wow, none of this is put on. Like this is what they're like in, in work meetings and, you know, going out to lunch and all of this. But yeah, I was part of the five-person launch team. So I wrote a little bit of content for all of the apps. And then once the teams grew and the, the apps had been around for a little longer, I went in to focus on um, ghostwriting for Chloe and Kendall. Okay. So did you have to write in Chloe's voice? Because I feel like Chloe's the funniest one. She is so funny. I loved writing in her voice. It was such a great exercise as a writer too, to like, really have to study somebody else's personality and somebody else's voice and the punctuation they would use. Like I would just devour her tweets and her Instagram captions. Mm-hmm. And, okay. I'm going to write exactly like Chloe. Um, so funny. Really fun. I wrote this one story once fans will know that she is not shy about her camel toe. <laughs> she named it Camille the camel. And I wrote this what I thought was hilarious story of like the top 10 fashion moments of Camille the camel and like ranked all of her camels. So funny. But it was so sad because I was so proud of it. And then like, I couldn't tell anybody that I did it. Oh, right. (laughs) Right. Okay. I think that was like the beginning of, of me feeling like, okay, I kind of want to write in my own voice now. And I have all this experience and I, I feel like I can. Well, in terms of you getting into clean beauty, you kind of explained that you dealt with chronic dermatitis and you were trying to figure out how to treat your skin. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how you started really learning about 
the ingredients and just the beauty industry as a whole. Because sometimes it takes a catalyst like having a skin issue to really start paying it. I always tell people like, please, I beg you, just like look on the back of your products and look at what's in them. But what was that journey like for you? Yeah, I had never paid too much attention to skincare. I think I use like all drugstore stuff like Cetaphil, Aveeno. In college, I'd had really bad acne. So I was on Accutane. I did antibiotics, oral antibiotics, topical antibiotics. I just, any prescription that would help, that's what I did. But when I developed dermatitis, it was while I was working on the Kardashian apps. And I think it was a mixture of it being like a very high stress environment because dermatitis is triggered by stress. And then also it was the first time in my life that people were sending me free products to try (laughs) because I was an editor for the Kardashians. So I was using all of this new skincare, expensive skincare. Like I used La Mer for the first time and my skin just freaked out. Yeah. And I couldn't get it under control myself. So I went to my dermatologist and they prescribed me steroids and the steroids worked amazingly. So I kept using them and kept getting my prescription refilled. My dermatitis would go away and then it would come back like worse and it would Mm. spread across my face until it was all over my eyes, all over my mouth, under my nose, my chin, and the steroids kind of stopped working. And this was two years into being on steroids And I found out that I had gone into, um, it's called skin atrophy, where steroids like permanently thin your skin. You're only supposed to be on steroids for two weeks at a time, which I had no idea. And my dermatologist prescribed them to me for two years straight. And, you know, they can, they can cause really serious issues. So once I stopped using the steroids, because my skin was resistant to it, I went into something called topical steroid withdrawal. It's basically just like your skin peeling off. It was red. It was flaky. It was oozing. And I couldn't put anything on it. Like even splashing my face with water would burn. It would hurt. Wow. Um, and I, was it really physically obvious? Like, did you feel self-conscious in public? Could you put makeup on over it? It got to the point where I could not put makeup on over it because it was so painful to try to take the makeup off. That was really challenging for me just from a perspective of like self-love and self-worth and having to be like, I like I went into work one day with no makeup on and some guy in the elevator asked if I was contagious. Oh my God. It was, it was just like heartbreaking because up until that moment, I had really, I had really tied a lot of my confidence to what I looked like. Mm-hmm. And when I didn't have that to lean on anymore, I realized like, wow, so much of my worth is based on my outside appearance. And when I can't rely on that to kind of be a shield for me in the outside world, what do I have left? Like, what can I love about myself? So it was like, I went on these two parallel journeys at the same time of like trying to heal my skin naturally with ingredients that wouldn't irritate it and wouldn't make things worse in the long run. And then also trying to heal myself from within and kind of lessen my reliance on beauty products and detach from the beauty standards that I've been fed my whole life in order to say, okay, even if my skin doesn't get better, I'm going to be okay if I go out in public. I'm going to love myself. I'm going to still live a life. I'm not going to stay inside and just cry all the time, which is what I did. So I think that really informed a lot of my approach to skincare too, because I don't have any interest in changing my skin. I don't have any interest in like anti-aging. I don't have any interest in Botox or lip fillers because to me, that's not serving my highest self and my highest good. 
Mm. So for me, anything that I use aesthetically or externally has to also help me achieve this higher goal of just being very soul-centered instead of appearance-centered. That's great. And did you feel like in this quest to be soul-centered versus appearance-centered that clean beauty was the way to do it in terms of using like natural products? Yeah, I think there's like some sort of spiritual tie in with nature. Like to me, my relationship with nature and with the earth feels like otherworldly almost. Like I feel very connected to nature. I feel like the earth provides everything that I could possibly need for for nourishment, for health, and for my skincare. Like nature knows no bounds. Like it's power blows me away almost every day. And even just my journey to healing my skin with natural ingredients, I saw the power that they have. Like I hate this idea that natural ingredients don't actually do anything. I hate, I literally, I hate (laughs) so much because it's like one, when you use like cold press, like organic, like marula oil, for example, Mm -hmm. or like sea buckthorn oil, and you just feel Mm -hmm. that on your skin, you would be in deep denial to be like, this is not good for my skin. Like it's just, it's like eating a salad, you know, with like amazing organic farm fresh vegetables. Exactly. I always like to compare it to crops. Like when you're growing crops, it's scientifically proven that if you grow them organically, And um, as close to nature intended as possible, like in their natural environment, they have the highest nutritional value. And there's like a meme that always goes around, like humans are just plants with more complicated emotions. But I truly believe that if we live in accordance with nature, as close to nature as possible, and we nourish ourselves with those natural organic ingredients, like we we are at our best and our healthiest. Yes, I totally agree. What were some of the early natural ingredients that you discovered on your journey that you were like, ooh, wow, like this is, my skin is loving this? Okay, the biggest one is Manuka honey. Oh, yes. I am obsessed with Manuka honey. Like I put it on a patch of dermatitis on my eye for like 20 minutes. And no joke, as soon as I washed it off, it was like that whole area was calmer and clearer than it had been in months. And I was like, what magic is this? Yes. And it does feel like magic, but it's, it's just nature. It's just mother nature at work. Yes. And isn't it interesting that people will be willing to pay for a product that has Manuka honey in it as like the 17th ingredient, but -hmm. it's like on the shelf at Sephora, but then they won't like just go to their local health food shop and just put Manuka honey on their face. It's like, what is the disconnect? I can't figure it out. It's bizarre to me. I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with like the stigma of using natural ingredients, which we're getting out of, but you know, it's always kind of like that wild child, hippy dippy thing. And like, Mm. it doesn't feel as luxurious. Yeah. Yeah. And people want luxury out of their skincare routine. Even if you're getting something from Target or from the grocery store, you know, the drugstore, I mean, it's like, it's about the packaging. It's about the experience. And you don't necessarily get that with food from your kitchen or from the aisles of Whole Foods, but get something so much better, which is like nourishment and real results. (laughs) Yes. Nourishment and real results. So well said. Okay. Other than Manuka honey, what else did you love? My favorite is jojoba oil. Yes. Love. We'll just use plain jojoba oil for almost everything. What I love about it is that it's a 97% chemical match to human sebum. So it's really as close as you can get to your natural moisturizer as possible. 
And for me, that's always the goal is like, I want to empower my skin's inherent functions. And I have decreased sebum production because of being on two rounds of Accutane, which shrinks and damages your sebaceous glands. So I struggle with like producing enough oil. So jojoba has been just like a godsend for me. Yes. I love it for your skin, for your hair, for your body. (laughs) And it's also great for people with sensitive skin because some oils do cause breakouts. Like I've had very mixed results with rosehip oil. Some people love rosehip oil, but it can break you out. I feel like jojoba oil, everyone's skin kind of loves. It's a good place to start. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a universal crowd pleaser. Yes. Yes. Um, So you've talked about being a clean beauty advocate, but just that the phrase itself, clean beauty is just a bunch of BS. (laughs) There's no standard guidelines for what's considered clean. And you go on to explain that the best way to approach a clean conscious beauty routine is through what you call the precautionary principle. Do you mind explaining what that is? Yeah. So, I mean, I love quote unquote clean beauty, but I also recognize that clean beauty means absolutely nothing. There's, like you said, there's no standard, there's no guideline. Brands can say that they're clean and not really be clean, but what does clean mean anyway? Nobody knows. So my approach is I create my own definition of what I consider to be clean enough for me. And I do that using the precautionary principle, which is like a a thing. It's not really used in beauty. It's used in like environmentalism and different sciences But I mean, if you could distill the principle down into a phrase, it's better safe than sorry. So to use the precautionary principle, you would have to analyze the potential risks and the potential rewards of any particular ingredient or product, and then decide for yourself if the risk is worth the reward. For me, I'm so sensitive that if there's any risk of any sort of irritation, it's not worth whatever reward is out there for me, especially because like I said, I'm not super focused on erasing my wrinkles or doing any sort of drastic changes to my skin. I'm more wanting to like maintain my skin's health. Mm -hmm. So for me, the precautionary principle, it's like very few things make the cut. But for example, if you, um, you know, parabens is a good one. There's so many conflicting studies about the safety of parabens. They've been found in healthy breast tissue. They've been found to build up in cancerous breast tissue. Right. A lot of people say, you know, parabens build up in your body either way. That doesn't mean they're, they're not safe. For me, it's not worth the risk because we don't have enough research to know if parabens are truly endocrine disruptors, if they are contributing to breast cancer. But for somebody else, they might say, you know what? I've read the studies and I think it's probably fine. So I don't mind having parabens in my, in my product. I see. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. My entire approach to skincare now that I'm pregnant, it's just been so eye-opening because I think a lot of the things that I was attributing to me having good skin, like retinol or doing like my BHA acids, like I'm not doing any of that now and my skin is doing great. Like I think I (laughs) I think it's been really interesting just like seeing how like doing less for your skin really does make your skin thrive. Like, would you agree that your skin is best when you like do as little crap to it as possible? Completely. 100%. Whenever I'm having like a bad breakout or, you know, a quote unquote bad skin day, my approach is to do nothing for a day or for two days, or I don't do skincare at night or whatever it is. And it's always better after a couple of days of just nothing. You know? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I'll like use all these products on my husband and he like breaks out and he's like, this is why I don't do any of this crap that you do because like my skin was fine before. 
Honestly, I always say like this, the men's skincare movement, you know, there's so many new skincare brands coming out for men lately, you know, gender binary aside, it's going to ruin men's skin. Like the reason that we are so envious of their skin is because they don't do anything to it. (laughs) They allow it to thrive. They haven't like sloughed it off with apricot scrub for their whole lives. (laughs) I know that is so true. That is so true. Well, one of the things that you've also talked about is just this like deep-rooted connection between skincare and stress. And you've also introduced me to this new term like psychodermatology. But it's like, I want, I want there to be more emphasis on this. I guess the beauty industry, there's an incentive to not focus on this connection and to make you think that everything can be solved with something that's in a jar on a shelf. But I feel like this is like important. I feel like I, I want to learn more about this. How did you kind of get into it? Well, I got into it because because I could not handle topical products on my skin. You know, there were very few things I could put on my face when things were at their absolute worst. And I just thought, okay, let me try meditation. Let me try a mantra. Let me try um, gratitude journaling. And the changes in my skin from when I started meditating after just like a week or two weeks were profound. And I wasn't doing anything new to my face. And I also just felt so good. I felt such a sense of calm. It was really helping me deal with, like what I said before, just you know, not feeling confident or worthy or loving myself because I didn't look a certain way. And I really felt like meditation helped on so many of those levels. And when I started digging into it, I realized that there is a sector of dermatology called psychodermatology that is focused on this skin-mind connection. And the connection was discovered back in the 1930s, actually. It's part of the gut-brain-skin axis. So in utero, your gut, your brain, and your skin all start start out as the same bit of embryonic tissue, and they're kind of connected for the rest of your life. And you can see that in like, you see it every day. Like if you are shocked or something scares you, you know, the color drains from your face Or if you get embarrassed, you blush, certain things like that. Like your feelings and your mental state are inextricably linked to your skin. And most dermatologists these days won't argue that stress affects your skin. What I find really interesting about psychodermatology is that it's not just that your, you know, your bad feelings, your anxious feelings, your stress will make your skin worse. It's that you can change your mindset and focus on the inner work and it will make your skin better. And there's like scientific studies to back this up. And to me, that is endlessly fascinating. Yes, that's so powerful. And people talk about little things like, oh, have a healthy lifestyle, uh, get sleep. But again, I think the stress management is a huge part of, because stress causes inflammation in the body, right? It causes inflammation in the body. It also breaks down your skin barrier. It disrupts your skin barrier and it causes um, transepidermal water loss tool. So your skin actually leaks moisture when you're stressed. Really? Yeah, your skin barrier is completely compromised when you're stressed. And that also makes way for external factors to have a bigger impact on your skin when you're stressed too. So it's not necessarily it's all coming from within, but when you're stressed and your skin barrier is compromised, you're more vulnerable to, you know, invading bacteria and pathogens or the sun or pollutants and things like that. And when you work on that stress, your barrier starts repairing itself and it locks in moisture. And so when you hear the phrase like lit from within, or you have like that glow about yes. you, 
It's actually true because when you're not stressed, your skin barrier is locking in moisture and hydration and you are glowier. Like yes. it's, it's yeah. real. It's science. <laughs> yes. I remember when I was first getting really into like natural holistic skincare, I read a lot of books um, on Ayurvedic medicine and Ayurvedic beauty. And they talk about like this inner glow and all of the inner glow comes from like living this like calm, peaceful lifestyle. And when you're stressed, you like compromise that inner glow. And I feel like that's so real. It's so real. And I think, I mean, I hope that we're going to have more research on it because for me, the research doesn't necessarily matter. I see the effects in my own life and on my own skin and I am a believer. But I know, especially for like a lot of beauty enthusiasts and in the skincare industry, if there's not like a scientific paper to back some of these claims up, it's like, eh, I don't believe it. Like, show me, show me the research. Yes. And there is a really good amount of research on this skin stress mind link. And I just think the field is so fascinating that I, I hope that there's more. Yeah, me too. Okay. I'll watch that space. <laughs> um, well, speaking of research and skincare enthusiasts, we've got to talk about your hyaluronic acid hot take of 2020. You wrote the article for Harper's Bazaar. I saw it for 0.2 seconds. It was taken down. We don't have to talk about why it was taken down. <laughs> um, it, it found its way back onto the site. Um, and you also posted something recently about like, okay, you're, we're supposed to layer moisturizer over hyaluronic acid serum to mitigate the dehydrating effect. And you said the beauty industry loves to create problems and then sell us solutions. Um, and we fucking love it. Um, <laughs> We do. We want it. Just give us more stuff to put on our faces. (laughs) Now, I am someone who I have tried hyaluronic acid products and I have enjoyed them. I will admit they've been gifted. It's not something I have like sought out. But as someone who does have dry skin, I am like a skincare layer person. Like I will put on an oil and a serum and a moisturizer and just go to bed and be like, yes. Now, what is your main point of view on hyaluronic acid and why do you think it's kind of being like oversold to us? I think there's just a lot of misinformation about hyaluronic acid. And that stems from the fact that we have hyaluronic acid naturally occurring in our body. And now we have this topical version and it's very easy to conflate the two. The two are probably like on a chemical level, the same, but the way they behave from, you know, one from within and one coming on the outside is very different. So I think it's easy for even dermatologists, estheticians, anybody to look at all of this research on our naturally occurring hyaluronic acid, which is truly a miracle ingredient within us and equate that to something that you can put on the surface of your skin from a bottle and have the same effect. And it's just not the case from in my point of view and from my research. I mean, there's so much to dive into there. And if anyone wants to read the full article, it's on, it's on Harper's Bazaar, but my point of view basically comes down to the hyaluronic acid in our bodies um, exists within the dermis, mostly some in the epidermis and very little on the skin barrier. When we see hyaluronic acid naturally on our skin barrier, it's as part of a wound healing response as part of an immune response from our skin to kind of heal whatever's happening on the surface. And hyaluronic acid can only hold the 1000 times its weight in water that we all you know, hear about all the time, it gets that water from when you drink water and eat water-rich foods. It's holding onto this moisture within your body and holding it within the lower layers of your skin um, in the same layer where collagen is made and, and all of that. So that's kind of what gives you that plump hydrated glow. You can't necessarily put hyaluronic acid just on the surface of your face 
and hope for the same effect. For one, where is it getting the moisture? Even in like the most humid climates, the moisture levels are like 4%. So you're not getting a thousand times your weight in water from the air. It's pulling it from within the deeper layers of your skin and it's stealing it from your own hyaluronic acid, which is just mind blowing to me. And that's where you get the plumping effect because it's bringing all of this moisture up to the surface of your skin. That's why it looks good. Like you put it on and you're like, ooh, my skin's looking plump and hydrated, but it's basically stealing it from your own internally produced hyaluronic acid. Yeah. And so over time, you're going to notice dehydration, but you're not necessarily going to think, oh, it was this hyaluronic acid serum that did that because for the first few times you used it, you looked amazing and glowy and plump. And you're like, this works something else must be drying me out or making me dehydrated or there's another problem that I have to fix there. And I think that is really what's at the core of why hyaluronic acid is so popular because we love a temporary fix. Yes. We love something that makes us look good in the moment versus like doing long-term extended lifestyle changes to support your skin's inherent functions over time. Very well said. I am not a fan of sheet masks actually. I'll use them from time to time they'll be sent to me and I'll like throw one on. But first from a sustainability standpoint, I'm just like the packaging, the sheet, the everything. You can make your own like face masks so much more easily at home. Yes, 100%. I'm with you. (laughs) There's no reason for all that garbage. I know. But a lot of people get addicted to, you know, that immediate you peel it off and your skin does kind of glow and look different. But do those results even last? Like when people say they do face masks like four times a week as part of their beauty routine, is that sustainable change? No. And I think if you have to do a face mask four times a week in your beauty routine, (laughs) you know, (laughs) something's going on there. You shouldn't need to do that much intensive work. You should basically be able to leave your skin alone and have it self cleanse, self-moisturize, self-exfoliate, self-heal. It does all of this stuff for you. So if you need that amount of product every single day, you know, you might want to look at, well, how can I support my skin's inherent function so it does this for me? And I don't need a mask every four days too. Are you against exfoliation as well? For the most part, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's such a complicated topic but I mean, your dead skin cells serve such an important purpose. They actually, they're like a different shape than your normal skin cells and they shape shift to hold more moisture. So NMFs, natural moisturizing factors, those exist on your dead skin cells. And when you exfoliate too much, you are exfoliating away your skin's upper moisture stores. And it's also part of like, you know, just your skin barriers, defense function, and it alters the pH of your skin and your acid mantle and kind of breaks all of that down. So I think we've gotten to a point where we're over exfoliating. If you're treating your body in the way it wants to be treated, your skin will naturally exfoliate. There's a natural process of shedding that happens and you won't have to manually go in there. I mean, due to like modern lifestyle stuff, like we lead more sedentary lives, we're not exercising as much pollution, sun damage, uh, highly processed diets, all of that contributes to your skin's ability to self-exfoliate. So sometimes it does need a little bit of a boost, but definitely no more than like once or twice a week. I don't exfoliate at all. Wow. I just as I'm talking to you, like you are so knowledgeable. I really feel like you you should have a podcast. Have you ever considered that? People would love a podcast. It's just like, I don't know how you find the time. You do so many things too. I'm like, how do you have like a job and a life 
and a <laughs> podcast and you're pregnant, like where do you find the time? I would love you to. You know what? <laughs> I I think you you could start small. Just do like one episode a month. I think we'll we'll have people, Naked Beauty Planet listeners, just like slide into Jess's DMs if you would like for her to have a podcast because I would be so here for it. <laughs> Thank you. It's hard to find real knowledge about skincare. The industry is so focused on consumerism, um, which you also write about so wonderfully. So this idea of confusing consumerism with genuine empowerment and self-care, you wrote a great article called The End of the Shelfie. Before I was featured on Into the Gloss, it was something I coveted. It was like, oh my gosh, you get to be on Into the Gloss. And I'm still, you know, proud of that article. It's like a cool thing. But I also do understand what you say around this obsession with consumerism and buying things and attaching that to feeling like this empowered, beautiful woman. So my question for you, it's a, it's a tough question, but do you think you can ever have a truly feminist beauty routine or is that an oxymoron? It's such a good question. And honestly, I think it's like the question that I'm trying to answer like with my career. <laughs> I think I'll always be asking myself this question and considering it and looking at it from different points of view. But right now, I do think it's possible to have a feminist beauty routine because I do think like beauty, the pursuit of beauty, the pursuit of expression through beauty, adornment, it's inherently human. Before beauty standards were a thing, you know, you can go back to the ancient Egyptians using coal eyeliner and Native Americans and African tribes like painting their faces as a form of communication. So like face paint back then was used to signify your status in the tribe or if you were a mother, if you were an elder or they were makeup was used in ceremony to kind of communicate with the gods or communicate with the cosmos. And I think that that urge to express yourself through your outer being is human and is, is good and is empowering. Yes. I think where it gets murky is that we are living in a time when it is almost impossible to distinguish our own urges and our own um, sense of empowerment from the beauty standards that we have been fed since birth, since before birth. So I think in order to have a feminist beauty routine today, you just need to consider the why behind what you're doing. Like for example, I have a huge pimple under my lip right now and I have a lot of concealer on it. (laughs) It makes me feel better. It makes me feel confident. I'm glad that nobody can see this pimple right now. Yes. I feel good. I feel confident. Am I empowered? No, that's not empowerment to me because I only put concealer on to adhere to a set of standards that I did not decide for myself. Interesting. So while I layer on the foundation and the concealer to, you know, make my skin look a certain way to feel better about being out in society, I'm also doing the inner work of trying to like deconstruct that need within myself and find worth outside of my appearance so that maybe someday I'll have a big pimple and I I won't feel like, oh, I need to put on concealer because I have a video call. Interesting. So I think there's a big difference between being empowered and feeling confident. And you always have to ask yourself, why does this make me feel confident? Is it because it really speaks to the true me inside on like a mind soul level? Or is it because it's helping me adhere to a set of standards that are not actually about me at all? This is really deep and it's making me think of so many things. No, really, even even before we got on, I was like, I should put on a little bit of makeup. But I was like, you know what, Jess, we're going to be talking about skin. Let me, let me let my skin shine through. But 
I think one of the things that I struggle with when I try to reconcile this is I actually like, like I genuinely enjoy doing these things. Like I genuinely enjoy putting on a bunch of skincare and I genuinely enjoy getting my hair braided and I genuinely enjoy putting on like an amazing lipstick and putting on highlighter and like, but maybe it is because I have bought into this notion that the end result of like looking glam and beautiful is kind of the reward for doing all of those things. And so maybe it's not empowered, but do you think that wanting to put on concealer, wanting to put on makeup, do you think that always has to come from a place of like a lack of empowerment? Not always, not necessarily. Like I think there's a beautiful movement right now of makeup that is like true art. Yes. Like like it is an art form and that's valid. I know I can't speak for everybody. And I think it's such an individual thing. And if something brings you genuine joy, like you are the only person who can say whether or not that is empowering for you. So, Mm -hmm. but for me, I always say to myself, like if, if putting on makeup for me was a true act of empowerment, would I be choosing like a primer that blurs the look of imperfections or Mm -hmm. something like that? Like, no, no, it wouldn't bother me if it was a true act of like empowerment and self-expression because expressing myself would have nothing to do with concealing my flaws or it's like evil twin sister enhancing your good features. You know, <laughs> they mean the same exact thing. <laughs> um, concealing your flaws versus enhancing your good features. So yeah. true. They do kind of mean the same thing. That's funny. Evil twin sister. Yeah. There's so much to unpack and it's decades and decades and decades of right. socialization And for me, it's not necessarily that I want or need everyone to get on board with this empowerment idea. I don't want everybody to like start not using skincare and not wearing makeup. Like I do it too. A big part of my motivation is just like, I know how crushed I have felt throughout my life by beauty standards. And I see how quickly they are evolving to this impossible standard that like just does not come naturally. And I just worry about future generations of women. Like, where do we go from here? Like the standard is already so impossibly high with Photoshop and filters and Facetune and fillers and injectables and Botox and plastic surgery. And it's like, how are future generations going to shoulder that burden? How are they going to feel beautiful on their own? And I just, I feel that window closing and it makes me so sad. And I, I see, you know, spreading this sometimes inflammatory message as like, just really trying to, to slow some of that down. It's very true. And just to go a little bit back to this idea of like the shelfie, which is for people that aren't familiar, it's like, a a selfie, but it's not a selfie. It's a picture of all of the products on your shelf as this kind of thing to chase. Like people that are product junkies, which is a real thing. People that are always chasing a new product to do the next thing, which I have fallen into. Me too. Across several categories, hair care, skincare. Now with clothing, I do rent the runway. So that's great. But do you think that when you have this desire to always have a new thing, you are becoming a victim of consumerism? Yes. Yeah. I don't really think there's another way to look at that. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's not saying like you have to stop buying everything right now, but it's just just to be more mindful about the why behind your purchases or what you're getting out of it. You know, I posted something on Instagram the other day that was kind of like a half fleshed out thought that I really want to explore deeper, but it's like, Ask yourself what you're looking for from this beauty product. 
Can you give that to yourself? Yes. Can you do it with inner work? Can you get that sense of, you know, feeling beautiful or looking glowy or like this, this feeling like I accomplished something because I can buy this expensive skincare product and it's on my shelf in a picture right now. Like, what are you chasing? What do you want from that? And, and how can you give it to yourself in another perhaps more healthy way? Yes. Wait, ask the question again, because I'm still thinking about it. What, what's the question to ask yourself? What are you getting from this beauty product? Yeah. Can you give it to yourself? Yeah. It's so are really you kind of that, that simple? It's really kind of that simple. It's like, it why do I want to try the new Fenty skin? Even though I have, I have a cleanser. <laughs> I've, got, I've got an essence. I've got a, a moisturizer with SPF in it. What is it that I want from this part. Do I just want like proximity to Rihanna? I can look at pictures of her and, and listen <laughs> to her music. Um, do I want to be part of like a larger conversation? Are there other ways that I could do that? It's a great, such a great. And then I think a lot of people kind of go to buying skincare to feel like they're doing the work of self-improvement. Like in order for me to do self-care, I have to take a step or an action. And an action is checking out of this website and having this come to me. And then I'm making progress on this thing that I said I was going to work on. 100%. So what, what does your beauty routine look like on a day-to-day? Like you wake up, you go to bed, what are you doing? Okay. So when I wake up, I don't really do anything. Sometimes I'll just like spritz my face with rose water. Okay. Give it like a little bit of a cleanse. And then um, I'll do a little bit of jojoba oil on top when my skin is still damp. And then I'll do a facial massage. So sometimes I use a gua sha stone, but mostly I just use my fingers. Okay. And I just kind of do the lymphatic drainage pathway. And that's um that's usually it for the day. And then okay. night, what about I'll, sunscreen? Sunscreen I use when I'm going outside. I like I know bad bad beauty editor. I don't use it like when I'm indoors or near a window or whatever. But for sunscreen, I use um Carrie Grand Essential SPF. Okay. I'm not familiar with that brand. Oh my God. This SPF is like the only one I will use. It's so good. It's um, zinc based, but it's a really oily texture. So the, the whiteness of it kind of like really melts into your skin. It doesn't leave behind a cast at all. And I also, I do get like 10 to 15 minutes of no sunscreen sunlight per day for... Okay. Yeah. If you like look around at, the dif- at different countries and they're like sun requirements like Australia and England, they all recommend like 10 to 20 minutes of, of sunlight for your vitamin D. So I've done a lot of research on it. I feel good about that. So I get my sun every morning. Nice. I put on my sunscreen and that's it for daytime. And then at night I'll cleanse with Manuka honey. my get my skin damp and then massage in like a finger full of Manuka honey all over my face. And I'll spritz with either rose water or like a DIY tea tree oil toners that toner that I do. Okay. And then again, I'll put my jojoba oil. Sometimes I'll mix in rosehip oil. Um, and recently, I've been using tamanu oil. I love tamanu oil. People are sleeping on it. It's so good. It's so good. I have a lot of um, acne scarring, and I my brother told me that this oil was like the one I needed. So I've been using it, the one from Shea, Shea Terra Organics. Okay. Shout out to your brother. I know. He's, he's so knowledgeable. He's like got such a mind for science, but on the nutrition side. So he like made me a skincare supplement once for my birthday. He like put together all these powders and like made individual capsules for me. 
Oh my God. Do you remember what was in the capsules? I have no idea, but it was so sweet. (laughs) That's so sweet. So, okay. I feel like we've talked about some of your favorite ingredients. Are there any like beauty trends that you really love, like that you're really excited to see or even ingredients? Like what would you say your top three are? Top three ingredients or trends? Yes. We talked about Manuka. We talked about jojoba, which are things that I love. Trying to think. I, I mean... I don't know if this counts as a trend, but the movement towards like acne positivity and acne neutrality, I really yes, love. Yes, love. I mean, the, the positivity part is great. I'm really into this move towards neutrality, which is like acne positivity says like all skin is good skin and acne neutrality is like all skin is just skin and it doesn't mean anything. Yes. <laughs> kind of love is like detaching from that, that outer appearance. What else? I love goat milk. Ooh. I like seen it pop up in a few new products. Like there's a new um, Cora's product that has goat milk in it or donkey milk in it. But I just use like the plain ingredient. I'll get the powdered version from uh, Whole Foods. They sell like a can of powdered goat milk. And that's what I do for face masks. So I'll go between yes. that and, like plain yogurt for face masks. And it's yes. soothing because my skin's very sensitive and very reactive and goat milk like calms it down in a second. That's great. It's very Turkish as well. Like my yeah. my husband's from Turkey and we'll go to Turkey in the summers and they always have like goat milk and honey soap. And I mm-hmm. always love buying that soap because it, it's just like so nice. The other thing I've been obsessed with lately is um, chamomile tea bags. It's like mm-hmm. I've been dealing with these like cystic bumps underneath my skin, like hormonal stuff. And if you put like a damp soaked chamomile tea bag on an inflamed pimple it goes down within like 20 minutes. It like shrinks by half. It's incredible. Like it's just, but it works so well. I try to tell people about tea bags, people using these eye patches. And I'm like, literally take some green tea, put it in your free, you know, get it wet, put it in your freezer and put it underneath your eye bags. Like they will go down like black tea. Like, yes. Did you so easy? Um, did you read Tom Ford's interview in Vogue when he came out with his skincare line? Oh God. I did read it at the time. I remember the second I looked at the ingredient list, I was like, I'm so turned off by this product. The ingredient list is awful, but the, the interview was so funny because he was like, you know, his esthetician told him to put tea bags over his eyes for his eye bags. And he did it and he was like, oh my God, wow, this is incredible. I must find out what it is about the tea bags that work so well. So the interview is just like, he poured millions of dollars and four years of research to isolate the compound in this tea bag that helped his eye bags and then put it into a skincare product. Right. And charges $450 for a bottle. I'm like, you could use a $1 tea bag though. <laughs> exactly. It's like people like... So funny. I know, I know. And it's just like that, like just get back to the source. If you just go to the source, yeah, it's there for you. You can access it. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I feel like we've already kind of gotten into it, but you do you have le- like your three least favorite trends or ingredients? Yeah, we've talked about some of them. Sheet masks for sure is one of them. Just yeah. for me, it's like too much, too much waste for a single use product. Like same thing with like makeup wipes. One that people find surprising is I really don't like microneedling. Oh my God. I did it and it was like the most horrific. I have it like it saved on a highlight on my stories. Oh my gosh. So painful. And I was like, why do people do this? And why do people lie about the fact that it's painful? Is it painful? I've never done it. 
It's so painful. I did it because everyone raved about it. And I was like, this hurts a lot. Like look and feel after like following. I mean, afterwards, because it was obviously inflamed. (laughs) Like it, your, your skin is like puffy and like, because you've gone through this like traumatic experience. Um, But then after, it's not like the results are lasting. Like I, I wouldn't recommend microneedling really to anyone. Yeah. And that's why I don't like it. Like I just do not believe in the hurt your skin to help it theory. Like anything that makes your skin worse at first and then gets better. I'm just like, I don't think you have to do that. I don't think you have to go through that pain to get the payoff. Yeah. And there's such a lack of research on like long-term effects of tricking your skin into an immune response like that Mm. over and over if you're doing microneedling long-term. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I'm worried about the long-term effects of a constant wound response when you're not supposed to be a wound response. Yeah. When you think about it with a common sense approach, it doesn't seem like the most reasonable thing to do. No, not at all. And I think it actually, like, I did some research into the origins of microneedling once, and I'm pretty sure it started out as like a dental tool, like a dentist made it. I have to look into that more, but it's pretty wild. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I feel like you do know really great natural brands that are sustainable. What are some of the brands that you think we need to be paying more attention to? Like, who do you think is just killing it? Yeah, there are three. So my favorite at the moment right now is For the Biome. It's this incredible brand. It's pretty new. I think they're less than a year old, Um, but their entire product range is natural, organic, and it's all formulated with the microbiome in mind. So it's nothing that's going to hurt your skin barrier. It's all going to help your skin barrier. And to me, like barrier health is the most important thing. Like my barrier is still very thin from years of steroid use. And I love the rosehip oil in this line. I know you mentioned rosehip makes you break out and I've tried a few that make me break out too, but this is incredible. Okay. They have some really great like powdered cleansers. I love like a waterless skincare product because that's just like, you know, saving a little bit of water. Sustainable. So for the biome is like a favorite. Um, One Love Organics. Have you tried them? I don't think I have. It sounds familiar, but I don't think I have tried. Incredible. Like every product they make is so good. I think they've been around for like 10 years and they have like less than 20 products because they're very mindful about like what they put out. It's all eco-certified, sustainable, like glass bottles and the ingredients are just so simple and beautiful and like high quality. Their vitamin B oil cleanser is like the only cleanser I'll use that's not like water or honey. Wow. I use that. And then um, in terms of like clean skincare and makeup, you need to check out Gressa Skin. Gressa Skin. Okay. G-R-E-S-S-A. The founder is just like this incredible powerhouse of a woman who has a lot of thoughts on the intersection of feminism and beauty. And it's so interesting because she has a makeup line. She makes this gorgeous serum foundation that I use, um, these really beautiful eyeshadows. And she, at the same time as making these clean makeup products, she's kind of pushing back against this idea that you have to look a certain way or you have to adhere to beauty standards um, in order to be empowered. So it's just like this very fascinating mix of makeup and you know true like feminist empowerment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this this woman is doing it, and like the whole industry could do it too. Yes. I love that. I'm definitely going to check out Gressa. That sounds amazing. And I love, I love clean makeup lines. So I will definitely check that out. One of the things that I love that you do, I feel like you 
obviously you're a white woman, but you've, you're very woke, I would say. Um, (laughs) and you do a lot of work. Like I even remember you did a great article recently about how all of the nail polish brands were only showing like white hands on their page. And you really went through and talked about that. You've talked about how a lot of these ideas about clean, sustainable beauty actually have roots in black and brown communities that conveniently get left out of the narrative. How do you think about your, like using your white privilege to shine a light onto these topics? And how do you kind of like also use your privilege to make space for Black women in the industry? So I think, I mean, at the bare minimum, I try to make sure that every single article I write includes the perspective of Black people, people of color in the beauty industry, because if it doesn't have that perspective, it's not a balanced report. It's not a balanced So one thing that I started doing is I have like a spreadsheet of people of color in the industry from dermatologists to estheticians, brand owners, influencers. And I just know that like these are perspectives I need to include, which is something that's so simple and like shouldn't be something to be proud of, but just really isn't done in the industry a lot. So that's kind of like the bare minimum starting place. And then like with the article that you just mentioned, where all the brown hands, I pitched that for like a year and no platform would take it. And I started thinking like, maybe this isn't a story that I should tell because I'm a white woman and maybe it's like weird and it's rubbing people the wrong way. And I kind of took a step back from it for a little bit and was like, well, maybe I should like tip off, you know, a woman of color who's, who could report on this instead. And then I just kind of realized like, I do have to use whatever amount of privilege I have and whatever platform have to shine a light on these issues as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recognizing that like a lot of my following is other white women within the clean beauty space, like clean beauty is so whitewashed. And I do have a platform and I do have the privilege of being connected to, you know, editors across the industry. And like, you have to use that to do some good. And especially in the clean space, like I feel like I've written a bunch of articles that all say the same thing, but it's like, you can't talk about clean beauty without talking about the history of clean beauty and making clean beauty more accessible and what truly is clean beauty. And and like you said, it's like, it comes from black and brown communities. It's, it's the shea butter from Africa. It's the Moringa oil. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the aloe plants that, you know, Mexican mothers still use for everything. It's right. And that is accessible. And that kind of combats this idea of, clean beauty being only for the wealthy and the white. And yeah, it's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And it's really encouraging to see a lot of other people in the industry really starting to recognize that too and and give attention to these issues. Yeah. And is it something that like when you see your fellow like colleagues, like white women not being inclusive, do you feel empowered to like give them like a little digital tap on the shoulder, like, Hey sis, uh, <laughs> you could be doing a little bit better. Like, do you, do you kind of also actively take on the role of like trying to advocate for more inclusive perspectives? I've started doing that with like opportunities that come my way. Mm-hmm. So it's like in the past couple of months, I've turned down like two or three different like speaking engagement things or sponsorship opportunities because I'll notice that I'm offered this thing and I'll look at the brand's Instagram or site or social media and see that it's like mostly white women. So I'll ask like, okay, who else is going to be speaking? Or like, who else do you have lined up to lead a workshop after I do? Like, are you actively including Black women? Are you actively including women of color? And if the brand doesn't say 
yes, or if they don't have an action plan for like, oh, here's where what we're planning to do, it's a place where I have to say like, no, and you should actually go hire X, Y, and Z instead of yeah. me. Um, That's great. Yeah, I mean, it it should just be the norm. Like nobody should be okay with with keeping these spaces so whitewashed. And, uh, you know, obviously there's always room to grow and room for improvement. And yeah, it's something that I'm definitely dedicated to as a white woman in a very whitewashed clean beauty industry. Yeah. To, like use that that platform to remedy the issue a little bit. Yes. Well, good for you. And and I think your so your work is so important. And as a Black woman, I always appreciate when you shine a light on these things. I'm always just like, yes, yes. That means so much. Tell it like it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Final question that I ask all of my guests is, when do you feel most beautiful? Okay. I knew this question was coming and I was dreading it. <laughs> I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? I like don't really have an answer. And then I realized like, I'm kind of proud that I don't have an answer because when I first started working in beauty, like I mentioned, like a big part of my mission was like kind of dismantling this like faux empowered idea of like everybody's beautiful because it really does keep the focus on like beauty being a source of worth. Yeah. And reflecting on it and realizing like, wait, I don't really know when I feel beautiful made me realize like, I'm not focused on feeling beautiful. I'm focused on like feeling accomplished or feeling connected or feeling like in tune with nature. And like, I can tell you what makes me feel all those things. But, like I really struggled coming up with an answer for this. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm good with that. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting though that you bring up nature because so many people say they feel most beautiful when they're in touch with nature, whether that's like being in a body of water, being physically outside, being in the sun. Like it's one of the most common themes. People say they feel most beautiful when they're in nature. Yeah. I mean, I can see that for sure because like we are nature. Yeah. I think by reflecting on the beauty of nature and realizing like, oh, wow, I'm made of the same stuff. Yes. Yes. I mean, you see, you see all my plants behind yes. me. I'm like, I literally like try so hard to surround myself with like, but, you know, especially living in New York City. I'm like, I just need something. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I will drop links to your fabulous Instagram account and your website where people can read your work and uh, catch up with you. But I'm so happy we made this interview happen. I've wanted to talk to you for so long. Me too. I have just loved your work for such a long time, ever since I saw your first DIYs. And it's so great to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And I just, I love the way that you think. And I just, please just continue doing everything you're doing (laughs) and consider starting a podcast. I think we would all love that. I'm going to think about it. (laughs) Definitely think about it. Okay. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for listening. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, 
Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right. Wasn't Jess just absolutely incredible. I have so many takeaways that I've written down from this interview because I feel like she just had so much knowledge to share. I think the first one, just when I was asking her as a writer and for her career, how she made herself stand out and get to as far as she's gotten, I think it's about finding your niche. So I love that she talked about the fact that she had this background as a songwriter and she used that in every single application she did. And you can tell when you read her writing, there is a really nice rhythm to it. But she also then decided that her niche was going to be natural, holistic, sustainable skincare. And that's what she's passionate about. And that's what she's decided that she's going to write about and be known for in the industry. And I think that no matter what it is you do, whether you work in you know, accounting, whether you're a designer, whether you're a writer, whether you, whatever it is that you do, figure out how to brand yourself and what your specific thing is. Why do people come to you to do what you do versus anyone else and making that really clear? My second takeaway is just hearing about how her chronic dermatitis was this catalyst for her clean beauty journey. I think for a lot of us, when we go through something like skincare issues, it can become paralyzing. But I think it's really important to realize that those are the breakthrough moments that can totally change your life. You can say, okay, this is happening to me, but how can I fix it? How can I repair it and go down this amazing path of research and learning about your skin? I think for her, it took two forms. One, she learned more about ingredients, but also she realized how much of her confidence was tied to what she looked like and how much of her worth was based on outside appearance. And I think that's so true for so many of us. So she decided that she was going to detach from the beauty standards that she had been fed her whole life and take this soul-centered versus appearance-centered approach to her beauty routine, which I thought was just really deep and a really empowering way to think about how you approach beauty. You guys know I love this idea of using ingredients that make you feel connected to nature. I think that's just such an important thing that we can't lose sight of. Okay, takeaway number three. All of the natural ingredients that just really work. Manuka honey just works. I cannot implore you guys enough to just try a Manuka honey face mask. You don't have to do Manuka honey cleansing. That may be intimidating for some people, but Manuka honey is one of these like miracle, amazing products. It's not inexpensive. It's pretty expensive. I don't buy it all the time. Sometimes I just buy raw honey, but Manuka honey is powerful and it works. Get a very small jar and just try it. And I promise you'll be hooked. And then she also, like me, loves jojoba oil. I love that she talked about the fact that it's a 97% chemical match to your natural sebum as well. So jojoba oil, manuka honey, two great things to try. Takeaway number four, this precautionary principle. So I asked her about clean beauty and what it means to her. And she uses the precautionary principle where she says, okay, it's better to be safe than sorry. And she analyzes the potential risks of a product versus the potential rewards. And if the risks outweigh the rewards, then it's not a safe product for her. Um, So for her, if there's any risk of irritation, it's just not worth using. Takeaway number five, 
Healing your skin through stress management. I thought this was so interesting hearing about psychodermatology. It's kind of a new field, but this mind-skin connection. And actually, I'm saying it's a new field, but as she mentioned, it's been around since the 1930s. But the fact that meditation can lead to better skin and that it's been scientifically proven that when you're stressed, you damage your skin barrier. So really thinking about, oftentimes we think about what can I buy or what treatments can I do to repair my skin? And sometimes it's about taking deeper breaths and meditating and changing your lifestyle so that you have less stress in it. And that's going to help improve your skin. Takeaway number six, just letting your skin do its thing. I have talked on this podcast about how in pregnancy, I am learning to do less with my skincare and noticing that my skin's doing just fine. But she just had a lot to say about the fact that you don't need to over exfoliate. You don't need to do a face mask four or five times a week. If you're treating your skin and your body well, then it will kind of naturally do what it needs to do. Takeaway number seven, just don't let beauty standards totally crush you. Like we, we're getting to a place where it's like, where do we go from here with the fillers and the filters? And the standard of beauty is already so high. So as you're putting on makeup, as you're making yourself quote unquote presentable to the world, how do you think about that as a source of empowerment versus something you feel like you have to do? I think these are questions that I'm still grappling with and it's hard for me to differentiate what I enjoy doing versus what I feel like I have to do to be to be acceptable by society's beauty standards. But I think it's really important that, especially as women, we question these things constantly. So yeah, I hope you guys loved hearing from Jess as much as I did. I think she's just absolutely phenomenal. Make sure you follow her on Instagram and go to her website. She's Jessica Defino, a fabulous and important voice on the scene for beauty. And I absolutely loved having her on. Stay tuned for next week for a new episode. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 